of Sassnacks, it's Chelsea back for another episode of the Sassnack Files. This week we're going to be discussing Season 4, Episode 2, Do No Harm. But before we get to that, I want to take a moment to remind you that you can find the Sassnack Files on all sorts of listening platforms, including iTunes, CastBox, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and many, many more. Also, if you have not had a chance yet, make sure you head over to follow the Sassnack Files on both Facebook and Instagram to keep up to date with the latest and greatest news concerning Outlander Season 6 and 7 and Diana Gabaldon's newest book, Go Tell the Bees That I'm Gone. And with all of that out of the way, let's get into my analysis of 402 Do No Harm. there to all of my wonderful, fantastic, Obsassanac listeners. I'm so happy to be back with you this week to discuss our episode 402, Do No Harm. And this one is a doozy. It's also a bit controversial. Lots to discuss today. I guess the first thing that really sets the tone of the entire episode is Jocasta. She's our new character that we're meeting Really, we do meet quite a few new characters within these first few episodes of season four that continue to be impactful all the way through the next few seasons. So Jocasta is an important one. She's Jamie's maternal aunt. And I think that is an extremely important thing to note this week because Jamie is kind of swayed by his aunt because she reminds him so much of his mother. And you can tell, I mean, Jamie's in a really bad spot whenever they first arrive at River Run. His friend has just been murdered the night before, and he's hardcore blaming himself for that mistake. And yes, it was a mistake, but it's like Jocasta tells him, you know, you gave him his trust, and, you know, what are you going to do about the fact that he didn't deserve it? I mean, there's, there's nothing you can do about that. And it is a seriously unfortunate set of circumstances that Claire and Jamie trusted Bonnet, but... It also sets up for all kinds of stuff that happens over the course of the next two seasons. So we haven't even seen the worst of it yet, folks. That's the unfortunate part. (laughs) So Jocasta is an extremely important character because she is in such a position. She's wealthy. She owns a plantation. She is in with the society of North Carolina. Like She is one of the creme de la creme, I guess. I think that she walks a very tight line in her life, which I find absolutely fascinating because she's a woman very much in a man's world. And I think that her being a Mackenzie and her family being who they are, she more than most may be better suited to that kind of life because she is very intelligent, extremely intelligent. I mean, her brothers are Colm and Dougal, and she grew up with them. I mean, as far as we know, Ellen was no slouch either, you know? That's just their blood in them. I think they're described in the books as um, Mackenzie's are as sly as the fox in the field. That pretty much suits this family to a T from everything we know about these characters. And even Jamie later on in this episode, when he's talking about how Jocasta publicly made him heir without asking him first or even mentioning it to him was a very calculated move. And it feels like something that Colm and Dougal would have done. And I think Jamie is still a little sore at that point because his 
trust was misused once not so long ago, and now he feels like his aunt has kind of betrayed his trust. Someone that was family, and for all intents and purposes, he should have been able to lean on her and expect that she would be there for him, but instead it appears that she's using him for her own purposes, and I think that did sting a little bit. But you have to see things from Jocasta's point of view as well, because Jamie is extremely well-suited to this life, and she sees that. After the death of his brother Willie, Jamie was raised to be the Laird of Lollybrock. He knows what it's like to have to balance the checkbooks and make sure the estate is kept running and make important decisions concerning what crops should be planted in the fields, what priority should be put on livestock or machinery that needs fixed, goods that need to be imported and exported. He is fully aware and capable of taking on those decisions. So from Jacasa's point of view, it's perfect because she's getting up there in age and she's not able to take care of the estate the way that she would like to simply for the fact that she's a woman. And I think that we see this probably most poignantly in the scene with Lieutenant Wolf. He comes in and he tries to push Jocasta around and he's like, the Navy would really like it if you were to grow wheat because we're always willing to buy that and we would pay eight pound per hundred weight, blah, 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 you know, selling it. And then Jamie is just rolling his eyes and smirking and he's like, well, you know, I really don't think that's a good idea. And calling this guy out who he barely knows saying, no, wheat is going to die in that wet sopping ground next to the river. If you want a successful crop, you need to plant rice. And then Jacasta's is like, yeah, and that would bring in more money too and keep the slaves fed. Good call, Jamie. And Wolf just does not appreciate that at all. Like, who the hell is this guy? It's already setting the tone, I think. Jocasta looks at Jamie after Wolf leaves and she says, I don't think anybody has talked to him like that in a long time. But it's something that Wolf kind of got taken down a peg. He's a power-hungry individual anyway, so anybody that questions his authority is immediately an enemy, and we can kind of see that throughout the rest of the episode. He's just holier than thou, you know? But I think that really kind of opened Jocasta's eyes to the fact, oh, here's the solution to all of my problems. Jamie knows what he's doing, and he's a man. He can do things and say things that I can't simply because I'm a woman and a man is not going to listen to me. It's not that Jocasta isn't capable of running the plantation. It's that people don't think she's capable because she's a woman. And that's just simply the time that they're in. People aren't used to seeing women make important decisions and run a huge estate. So they have come to believe that it's impossible because they just haven't seen it. I think another reason that Jamie feels so drawn to Jocasta in the beginning. I mean, yes, she's family, but she reminds him a lot of his mom. And we know from previous seasons that Jamie was close to his mom and that his mother's death really is a sore spot. I mean, losing a parent is hard anyway, but I think the way that his mother was lost and that he lost her at such a young age really had a giant impact on him moving forward. And Jocasta looks like his mom, sounds like his mom, 
He even tells Claire, you know, I always wish that you knew my mom, but having you know my aunt is just fine. Pretty much saying it'll suffice because I can see so much of her in Jocasta that you're going to get a pretty good idea of what my mother was like just just based on knowing her little sister. So I think also Jamie has kind of projected some of his grief on her and also the expectations of who his mother was. He kind of holds Jocasta to those standards. And when she falls short of those standards and kind of falls into more of the realm of a column or a Dougal, we start digging up old bad memories, you know, of all the crap that he went through with those two. So I think that it does hurt a little bit when she goes behind his back like that. But at the same time, she does have an estate to run. She wants to make sure that it's taken care of. And if she thinks that the only way to do that is to kind of trap Jamie into it, evidently she's decided that's worth doing. What she doesn't count on is the X factor, which is Claire. Jamie cares way too much about what Claire thinks to ever end up taking on River Run. And that comes to fruition at the end of this episode, which I'm really glad about because as a viewer and as a reader, I'm sitting there saying, okay, how long are we going to toy with this? Because obviously Claire is not okay with the idea of slavery and this lush existence that's built on the backs of others. She's not okay with that. And to be frank, Jamie's not okay with that. Jamie may not have been a slave, but he was a prisoner and he was an abused prisoner to boot. So he can empathize with these people on a real deep level. And I think honestly, while he's a progressive individual, he also knows what it's like to be in their shoes to a degree. And so that more than anything is what's driving his decision to side with Claire because he sees a, that things aren't like this in the future. So it's going to be something that changes eventually. Claire's told him as much. But also to see that these are people and they're being treated like animals. It's absolutely horrible. And I'm so glad that our main character sees this. What is really kind of awful to me is that Jocasta doesn't see it. It's a way of life for her. It's her living. And... In her eyes, she's done them a favor by purchasing them in lots and providing them with food and clothing and allowing them to stay with their families. Like, I even consider some of them friends, as she says. And I love how Claire rolls her eyes and stands up and says, well, I can't help but wonder if they feel the same way, seeing as they don't have a choice about it. Claire is saying what we're all feeling. I get the point of having this brought up because... In a very modern sense, she is stating how she feels. She was raised in modern times where slavery was outlawed. She grew up in Britain. So slavery is not as fresh of a wound, I guess, in Great Britain as it is in the United States, because I think it ended some like 30 or 40 years before it did in the United States. So those ideas are freshly ingrained in her as a 1960s woman at this point. I mean, she's living in America. Her best friend is black and she's absolutely appalled. And I just couldn't help but think whenever she was sitting on that bed with Rufus holding his hand, I'm sure she was thinking about Joe, just the way that she was looking at him and holding his hand. And 
like she can't help but see her best friend in these people because he was descended from slaves. I know it's not really played upon in the show, but in the books, Joe Abernathy, the reason that he has the last name Abernathy is because it was the last name of the slave owner that owned his great to however many degrees grandfather. So yeah, Joe is a descendant of slaves. And I think that gets Claire worked up a lot thinking about these people that were treated so terribly and that this could easily be her best friend, you know? She knows that there is something inherently wrong about the situation. And Claire is not one to keep her mouth shut about these issues. Jamie feels the same way, but as always, Jamie is a bit more couth about it. (laughs) You know, well, isn't there anything that we can do to fix this issue? Blah, blah, blah. Whereas Claire is much more impulsive. So I think that's where she kind of starts to get herself in trouble. But Jocasta finds Claire fascinating. She's like, well, are you a Quaker? Like, how do you come to feel this way? Because it's not normal in in that day and age to be so against slavery. It's not really a common ideal to think that it's wrong and that Black people are, are people. They're simply, back then, were... Jacasta says, well, they're much more expensive than livestock. Like, the whole, I, whole thing is just appalling. But I think... And I'm saying this as a Caucasian woman. So obviously I can't begin to understand how people of African descent feel about the idea of slavery. I mean, obviously we know it was abhorrent, the practice in general. But I felt that by not shying away and by showing both sides of the coin, it really honestly did kind of open my eyes a little bit to how life was back then. Because obviously you learn about it in history books, but it's very different from seeing it portrayed. And I think a great example of that is when Jamie is talking to Farquhar Campbell about what it takes to free a slave. It wasn't just the practice of slavery itself that made it so terrible. It was that the law was structured to create an unshakable system of slavery. The law didn't allow for Black people to be free and to live their lives. It took them performing a meritorious service, such as saving a life. And then if the courts deemed that that was good enough, the person that wanted to free that slave had to offer a hundred pounds sterling per slave that they wanted to free. And to modern ears, that doesn't really sound like a lot, right? So I went and did a little research because I was curious to see with inflation rates, actually how much that would be in today's coin. Guys, it's 16,570 British pounds. So almost 17,000 pounds, which is equivalent to almost 30,000 U.S. dollars to free one person. That's how the law was set up in the colonies, so that it was almost impossible for people of color to be free unless they were born free. The situation only got worse as time progressed until the time of the Civil War. You had 
slave hunters that were literally taking free colored people and capturing them and taking them south and committing them to slavery for money. I mean, these were practices that were regularly happening and it's hard to think about something like that. And I think it was really eye-opening. Like Rufus was telling the story of how he and his sister were chased out of the trees in their home and run onto the beach and captured and put on a ship and brought to America to be slaves. And when Ian was hearing that story, I think he heard a lot of his own story and that the tragedy is that Ian was saved and he could go on living his life. And I think that he realized that whenever he was listening to that story, whereas Rufus was going to die because of this awful thing that happened to him. Like there was no way around it. The law demanded that there be justice for what he did, even though what he did was injustice. Like that guy was an asshole and he defended himself, but because he was black and the guy was white, the black person has to die. To (laughs) twist the knife even further when Clara's like, well, we can just help him escape. Jamie's like, oh, what? And condemn the others. Because if a slave escapes and people don't give him up, then the other slaves that were with him when he escaped are punished in his stead to ensure that the person knows what they are doing by running away. They're hurting other people. They're not just saving themselves. They're hurting other people. And that would keep even the most adamant slave docile in a lot of cases because they're not going to put their family and their friends in jeopardy. And that's what Jocasta is saying. Well, you know, none of my slaves have only a few have run away over the years. Well, yeah, of course, because look at what happens to them if they try to run. Look at what happens to their friends, their families, their mothers and fathers and sons and daughters. Are you kidding me? No, they're not going to try to run. So I, I really appreciate what they did in this episode by touching on this issue of slavery. It really is kind of eye-opening to the kinds of things that went on Because like I said, you can learn about it in textbooks, but until you're kind of faced with the enormity of the situation, it really doesn't click. I admire Jamie and Claire so much for wanting to change things. But I think at the same time, they know that this situation is bigger than what they can fix. And in the end is what causes them to take Tryon's deal instead of stay at River Run. Because They know they can't be party to this. This is not something that they want to allow to continue because in being the masters of River Run, they have no choice. They have to obey the law. Like this episode is all about what happens when you don't obey the law. They're just, people are going to come around and they're going to burn your house down. And that's what Jamie's like, that's not a law. That's a mob. Jocasta's like, well, it doesn't matter what it is. They're going to burn this house to the ground if you don't give up Rufus. And so I don't blame Jamie and Claire a bit for choosing to do things the hard way and just getting the hell out of Dodge versus becoming another uh, link in the chain. It doesn't matter if they agree with it or not. It's like Campbell told them. He said, there have been others that have shared your beliefs, but they've disappeared never to be heard from again. And it, Jamie, you know, being Jamie, he's like, I'm not going to let that like fear of harm change my mind. I still feel the way that I feel. And I think that slavery is wrong. And I'm not going to stand here and say that it isn't. 
So I admire his integrity in that respect, but I also really admire their choice to move on because I don't think that I could do that either. I mean, Claire was downright panicking about the idea of having slaves. And when they found out how difficult it was to free slaves, well, then it was kind of out of the question. They would basically have to liquidate the entire River Run estate to free all of their slaves. And that's if they could prove that each of them had performed this meritorious act of service, which to convince a court that is that biased with all of these laws that 150 people have saved lives or done something so great that they've earned their freedom, like, it's not going to happen. Did you see these people? Like, they're ready to burn a house down over, like, a slave defending himself against a terrible person. You're telling me that they're going to be willing to listen to a case of freeing 150 slaves? Like, that's just not happening. All in all, I thought that this was a very interesting episode. It's not one of my favorites, just because I did kind of feel like it diverged from the path a little bit on this season. But I can also see how it adds value to the plot because it really lays a thick layer of motivation on Jamie and Claire to move along. They don't want to be part of this. And I think when we see what they go through establishing their home on Fraser's Ridge, it makes a little more sense because without this episode, we would be left to think, well, why on earth would you put yourself through this? Why would you choose to do things the hard way if your aunt's living in the lap of luxury and has offered you to stay there? Like you have to have these ghastly circumstances to understand why Jamie and Claire chose a different path, I feel like. So yeah, that's kind of my thoughts on this episode um, as far as slavery and the the character of Jocasta. I thought that Maria Doyle Kennedy did a fantastic job portraying a blind woman. I've talked to a couple of people about it. And from what I've heard, like she does a really great job portraying someone who lost their sight later in life because it's not the same as being born blind. You have an awareness of the things around you. So you can get by in a lot of circumstances, like you can focus your eyes on someone who's talking and do all of these things. So I know that she put a lot of research and time and effort into talking to people with visual impairments to make sure that she was portraying the role correctly. And I applaud her for that 100%. And I also think for the character of Jocasta, being blind really deepens her character because She's really good at sussing out the differences in what people are saying versus what they mean, which I think is a talent that you only develop when you're not able to look at someone's face and look at them in the eye or read their body language. So I do like that that's incorporated in the character because the whole time that Claire is being fitted for her dress and Jocasta sitting there like, oh, what do you think of River Run? What's your favorite part of the estate? Blah, blah, blah. And Claire's like, oh, well, I've never really stayed any place like it. And, you know, Jocasta is reading between the lines because she's learned to hear things in people's voices that they don't necessarily intend to be there, but they're just not being 100% honest. The tone of their voice and the cadence of their words 
says more than the person may want to say. So I did find that extremely interesting in a lot of ways. So this week's kind of a short episode. The last thing that I really want to talk about is we are introduced also to John Quincy Myers this episode, which is kind of a man of the mountains. He's been in and out of the Native American culture. He's communicated with them and kind of has more of an understanding of how they do things. They're not so much viewed as savages by him, which is how they're viewed by the European settlers of the American colonies at that point. And so this is where we really start to see Ian's development as a character in this season, because he is fascinated by the idea of these Native Americans. John Quincy Myers is the first person he's met that has met any of these people, submerged himself in their culture, and really knows anything about them. So I think it's really neat to see Ian asking him his questions like, I've heard that they rip a man's heart out and ate it whole. And uh, Myers is like, well, I don't know about that, but I do know that they scout people they view to be outsiders. And Ian makes this interesting connection where he says, huh, well, there are clans in Scotland that'll do the same thing. And he says, Indians didn't sound that different from Highlanders. John looks at him and says, well, that's a fine way of looking at the world, Ian. So I think in this season, as much as we are exploring America and the idea of settling in a new place and finding a new home, we're also exploring the acceptance of people that may not look like us and share our beliefs, but are still people and have a right to live their lives. And that in the end, we're not that much different from each other. And I really do like that message of acceptance that is embedded into the season that uh, Jamie and Claire and Ian are learning to live with their new neighbors. And that's something that we explore quite a bit more in common ground. But we start to see the seeds planted of where Ian ends up in the season four finale right here in this episode. And I do truly find it interesting. Alrighty, guys. Well, that's it for my analysis, short and sweet this week. Performance of the episode goes to Maria Doyle Kennedy because I felt that she was pretty dang great in how she acted. Like we could see the Mackenzie in her, her brothers, Dougal and Colm, and kind of that slyness to her. But she's also really sweet, which is what Jamie sees in her. And I think that's what reminds him of his mother. We also see that she's very much a woman in a man's world trying to make things work. She has that docile exterior that she puts forth into the world to coddle the men and make them feel all big and powerful so they can puff their chest. But underneath, she's this cunning, sly individual who is really kind of manipulative in a lot of ways to her own purpose, which is 100% the McKenzie in her. And I 100% applaud her efforts to accurately portray a blind person. I think that she does a really good job. She's very believable. Not for a second did she waver from her commitment to not make eye contact or look directly at anything. If you have ever tried to do that, not focus on anything in your field of vision, it is extremely difficult. Extremely difficult. So... I think Maria Doyle Kennedy earned performance the episode heart and soul this week. 
And for my quote of the episode, I really liked this one. When Jocasta is talking to Jamie about being a woman and trying to convey a sense of authority without stepping on a man's toes. And she says, there's a certain delicacy to be deployed in certain matters where a woman's unsolicited views aren't always welcome. And I'm like, we're still dealing with that today. Like, that's so annoying (laughs) that this was like an 18th century thing. And here we are like 300 years later. And it is still a thing where women have to like stand on their tiptoes and just whisper or not say what we want to say because then we're a bitch. Like, it's just so annoying. (laughs) It really is annoying. And I know for you ladies listening, you know what I'm talking about. I feel that way a lot. There's that, but there's also another quote that I really, really wanted to discuss. I'm not a religious person at all. Those who know me can attest to that. But the prayer that Jamie says at the end of the episode, when he says, I'm bending my knee in the eye of the father who created me. Pour down from heaven the rich blessing of thy forgiveness. Be thou patient with us. Grant us, thou Savior of glory, the love of God and the will to do on earth in hard times as angels and saints do in heaven and give us thy peace. I thought that was a perfect prayer for the circumstances because Jamie and Claire need some sort of strength to keep going after this situation. There's such empathetic people and they're so kind-hearted and Claire's a doctor she swore an oath to do no harm which is the entire point of this episode so for them and I think Jamie in a lot of ways he's praying for strength himself but also is saying like he recognizes how completely awful the situation is like he sees it he knows it. he feels it deep in his bones that this is wrong and there's nothing he can do about it he just feels helpless so all he can do is pray that one day things will be better and until then give us the strength to do the right thing even if it's going to be the hardest thing we've ever done please give us the strength to do it anyway So I really loved that. And one other thing. I know I keep saying one more thing. I don't know if any of you noticed this, but I really felt a parallel this episode in Rufus's death versus Jordy's death in season one because his death is imminent and Claire holds his hand and asks him to think of his sister, much like she asked Jordy to tell her about his home during the boar hunt. I found it interesting that Claire has been in this situation so many times of helping a person accept their death and move into the next life. It's become sort of a pattern for her to help these people pass by taking them to their happy place in in a lot of ways. So I did find it interesting that A lot of time has passed, like 25 years has passed since the boar hunt when she first got to Castle Leuk, but it's still the same process for her. She still goes to the same emotional place. So there were a lot of callbacks because even Jamie, he's like, I know you took an oath to do no harm, but can't you help him? Can't you at least save his soul if you can't save his body? 
and help him like you did Colum. I'm not sure that white arsenic is the best and most peaceful way to go. <laughs> I was like reading the label on that um, vial of poison. Further to the point, I wonder what medicinal purpose arsenic has because that's pretty gruesome from what I remember of science class. So why would you have that in your medicine box? I don't know. If anybody knows, please do put a comment in this episode's comment thread. I would appreciate some info. Alrighty, guys. Well, that about concludes my thoughts on 402 Do No Harm. As always, I opened up the floor to you guys, my listeners, so that you could get your thoughts out there on what you thought for this episode. So without further ado, let's get into your thoughts on 402. Regina Geisert says, I think they did an excellent job without dragging out too much an unfortunate part of American history. I love the desire that Claire and Jamie have to do what they can to help change or steer some change in the right direction without making themselves a target or completely alienating those who have yet to see how wrong it was. I love the casting for Jocasta. I think she does an excellent job as her character is very cunning and isn't obvious and outright in her plotting. She blindsides people when they can't say no, otherwise they would come across as rude or ungrateful, and I can see why Jamie is leery of what she's trying to put on him. Overall, I think it was a decent episode, even if there were things that didn't mesh as well as one would have hoped. I agree. There were a few things that didn't quite mesh with the episode, so I think that's why that one kind of ranks towards the bottom of my list on season four. It's not for the content. I felt that it had a really good message in it and, like I said, kind of opened up the world a little bit and opened up people's eyes to kind of what really did go on in the historical circumstances of slavery and Southern plantations. I thought that it was a good message and that it was a good attempt. I just think that it may have been a little bit too far of a step outside of the plot. Baglier Ronald says... I thought Maria Kennedy played Jocasta very well, and she brought a nice, subtle Northern European tone to the dialect of the Southern folk. She was also excellent at portraying the mannerisms of a woman who has gone blind. My mother-in-law went blind later in life, and I was always amazed at the things she could do and get around. There is a difference between a person who has been blind from birth and one who has gone blind later in life. Regarding the slavery, I'm not black, so I would not presume to comment on their experience, but would be very interested to see what a person of color would say. I agree. Yeah, if we do have any Black listeners out there that would be willing to share your thoughts, I'd love to hear them. All right, this next comment has a bit of a spoiler. So if you haven't finished season four yet, you might just skip over this one. But Mary Dorenzo Spinelli says, I loved Maria as Jocasta and really loved her with Myrta. I think they handled the slavery part of the series very well. They didn't drag it out, but made the point of how tragic slavery was. The experiment called America has had dark days, but fortunately we have strived to right our wrongs, and I'd say we sure have evolved honorably to try to do and be a better nation. I agree, Mary. I mean, we've definitely made strides. I'm not saying that we're perfect, because anybody that's turned on the news lately has seen how... (laughs) (laughs) how much of a shit fest America can be sometimes. But there are people in the system that are are trying to make things better for a lot of groups of people that have been neglected in the past. And I think that's all we can ask for is that people are at least trying to make America 
even better. I hope that we never get to a point where there's like, there's nothing more we can do. There's always something more that can be done. I think that we've made great strides since the 18th century, but there's still a long way to go. So without getting political and on that note, I am going to sign off for this week, guys. Next week, we are chatting 403, The False Bride, where we get Brie and Roger back. Yay! All kinds of fun stuff to discuss next week, so make sure to join me for that. And until then, you guys stay safe out there, and I will chat at you later. Bye!